Welcome to The Positivity Effect, where paying it forward and doing something positive in someone's life can provide them with the confidence and motivation to do the same for someone else. Like a stone dropped into a lake, let's create a ripple effect of positivity throughout our world. And it begins with your host, Dr. Thomas Retcher. Hey, what's going on, guys? Dr. Tom here. You're listening to The Positivity Effect. We have an awesome episode for you today. I have a friend on that I got to, a great opportunity to reconnect with that I haven't has had a chance to speak to in a while. And uh, I feel like I feel like it's like it was just yesterday that we were talking yeah. about. <laughs> um, but and there's so much to, you know, to this guy's story that I want to share with you guys. So we're actually going to have a two parter. We're going to bring him back, you know, we'll pick a time, pick a date, but we'll bring him back. But um, I think it's I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this, uh, especially with just, you know, the tumultuous times that we've been living in right now. I, I feel, I mean, this content uh, that is his life is is highly relevant, but I feel like it's even more relevant right now for um, for your freedom. And we're going to get into that. So uh, guys, welcome to the show, Vincent Puglisi. What's going on, brother? You nailed the name. Do you know how few people actually get the name like straight on? <laughs> Listen, I, I I have to be honest, I practiced, you know, you, you were with me during the practice session. You can't do it without practicing. We didn't get blessed in terms of an easy name to pronounce. So. I, I will pat myself on the back, though. I didn't go to my, my note sheet behind the, the, the video call to, to, to read the, the phonetical uh, you yeah, know, don't do that. outline. Because <laughs> <laughs> you always go to read the phonetics and it'll be like, Vincent. Uh, <laughs> oh, and, and at the same time, like, I laugh about it because we've seen, like, I have press passes for my years of photography spelled every way you can imagine it looks Russian it looks everything you could imagine people screw it up and then I but I'm so bad with names myself like I will forget your name almost immediately when I see it so I'm like I, I have to work on it myself to constantly like oh what is their name yeah so but, I don't, but, I don't but how many times has that probably led you to like an interesting conversation a new relationship just because the person couldn't get your name out properly Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, because you laugh. I mean, it's something like right now, right before you start an interview, it's it's literally the question that everybody asks right before we get started. It's like, okay, how do we do this again? So it always leads to a lot of laughs. And, and then all of a sudden you get somebody's like, oh, I have a Puglisi friend that was here. And then they yes. ask, like, you know, somebody in Omaha. I'm like, no, no, not related, not related. So like, welcome to the show, Vincent Smith. And, and yeah. sh- shout out to any Smiths right. out there, right? But it's not memorable the way my awful name yeah. is, right? <laughs> Listen, um, you've been doing so much uh, your your whole life. I, I want to get into your story, but um, more more recently too, right? You have this book that you've had out since 2018, Freelance to Freedom, that uh, I've been diving into a lot lately. And obviously it's not just like a book that you've sat down and wanted to write one day. This is like a culmination of where your life has led you to this point. And- it really reads like that. It really reads like a story where you, you feel like you're, you're almost watching a movie play out. Mm. Um, 2008, 2008 was a big year for you. Yeah. I mean, we had a lot, it was, it was a crazy thing. Cause you know, we're talking about your wife in terms of photography and building her career. I was a photographer for 20 something years. Um, and we can get into that in a little bit, how that all came about. Cause it was a big part of our life. But 2008 was, it was a crazy change because we had, I had kind of built the life that we wrote about through a tons of 
hard times and struggles and mistakes and everything you can imagine, you know, just basically being an awful student, being arrested, getting in tons of trouble as a youth, and then kind of really having a turnaround and then building up the career and the life that I'd always dreamed of. But then at the same time, realizing there's always something more. There's always something that you want to be challenged with differently. And that's, that's what the book was, was like, I need to get this out expecting nobody to read it. And if anybody's writing a book, it was the best advice I was given. And it was the best advice that I got for myself. Where it's like, you don't, I had no expectations for the book. I had no expectations for book sales, for anybody being interested. I just needed to write this book. I needed to write it for my kids. I needed to write it for any one person that felt like they need, they were in a spot that needed a push in terms of getting out of something that you don't want to be doing and building a life that you truly want that you have freedom you have time freedom you have money freedom you have location freedom over time um so to write that out and then to just release that was even if it only sold one copy and they liked it it to me it would have been a success it allowed me to really be myself and be authentic with it and that was the most important thing for me for to be a true story and not something that was built just to write a book or to sell books and that was and then for that to turn into what it's turned into and then you know, from the emotional and spiritual side of the, the change that it's made for people, but also what it's done for our life in terms of the businesses that we've built from it that have been able to help people more in this message has been just astonishing. So I'm just grateful for even to be able to do it. Yeah. So you have a very unique perspective because, and you, you even go into this in the book that this, this podcast obviously is, is, hosted in America, right? So we're, we're mostly mainly talking to Americans. Mm-hmm. That's not the case for many of us. Um, it, it's, it's an outlier to have this mindset. And it's a very, it's a very powerful mindset to, to free yourself in this way. Um, having this lens that you have and you've built, why do you think so many of us, so many Americans go down this path where we, we, we put ourselves in chains, you know, with, uh, you know, whether it's further, you know, we want the bigger house, we put ourselves in more debt, we want the nicer car, we put ourselves in more debt. I know it's obviously a material thing, but I feel like, you know, you're the, you're the resident expert right now at this. So I'm curious on, on your perspective. Well, we're trained to do so. We're trained from youth, from five years old and six years old in terms of following what everybody else does. And then if you don't do what everybody's telling you to do. We get ostracized for it. And it starts with getting on the school bus at a certain time. And you're going to go here and you're going to go to this class and you're going to follow the orders and you're going to stand in line. You're going to sit in place. You're going to go to recess when everybody else goes to recess. And when you start training people from a very young age to follow authority and not be allowed to question that authority, you eventually beat the creativity and the curious curiosity out of people. And it is, established that by the age of 10, most kids have lost curiosity. I mean, go around any four-year-old and they'll drive you crazy because they question everything. Why this? Why that? What do they do? And, you know, it's adorable, but as a parent, you know, we have a nine-year-old now and, and, and you know, we have three boys and nine's the youngest, but there's times you want to be like, just stop asking questions. Just give me like a moment to breathe. But at the same time, I absolutely love it because we decided to homeschool for that reason. We wanted the openness of them having just interest-based learning so that they can learn the things that they love and the life lessons come from that. That goes the opposite of what I was taught in school, which was you're weird because you don't do things the way that we want you to do them. And 
because of that, we're going to make you feel bad about it. And we're going to put you down about that. That was my experience. The ones that did well in school followed orders very well. They got straight A's. They got, they, they were good citizens. I see that as dangerous because when you get there and you're really good at following and you, it doesn't, it's not very hard for you to do the work. How many people will we talk to that they struggle in real life because things were so easy? They're like, I never, I never really had to work in school. Like it just kind of came to me and I breezed through it. But then you get out in the real world and that's not what they experience. The reason why I think I've been able to do well after a lot of struggle is I had so much pain and I had so much failure that I could not do anything but learn from that failure. And the more it churns over and over again, you realize that the world didn't come, in at, come to an end with each failure. And I learned something and I learned something else. And it forces you to constantly seek failure, to constantly push against authority in terms of like, just do what, I'm, do what you're told. And it allows you to innovate and realize I gain more confidence for myself way after school than ever beforehand because I learned that I could do these things without the direction of somebody telling me to do it. And once you have that and you have that momentum and you have that um, just belief in yourself, it's, it's really hard to stop you. But I think most people don't get that opportunity because either they do well enough in school that they get elevated or they get beaten down enough to where they don't really believe in themselves anymore. And then they just do what they're told in terms of even debt. And materialism, buy the house because everybody else is buying it. Buy the car because the commercial told you so. And you just do it. Then they wind up, they're 36 years old with a spouse and three kids, and they're working in a job that they don't like, and they're making decent money, but they have no money because they spent it all, and they wonder what the heck happened in my life. And I think that's really common. What sort of, I feel like it's probably so visceral. Like when you're coaching somebody or you're talking to somebody about, hey, like, you may have this mindset. Like, how do people respond when you when you 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 broach this topic of life was like this way, and it may have been for you, meaning you, the person that you're maybe you're talking to. It's I feel like it's like oh my gosh, like you're you're almost you know you're unearthing some very very deep seated you know things from childhood that we don't even realize that we're we're living. That it's it's almost like a, it sounds like a programming that we've we've been put through that it's hard to break from it. And yeah, the curiosity, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm seeing this right now. It's so, it's so amazing to see my, my nieces and my nephew growing up, they live right around the corner from me. And yeah, it, it, it really changes your mindset when you're around kids because it's, it's not a, it, for the majority, like what you're describing majority of adults. And when I say adults, like even the 20, you know, 18, 20 year olds, you don't see that it's, it's all of a sudden, it's just a certain path. that's very locked down, mm-hmm. wake up, make money, come home, wake up, make money, come home, wake up, make money, come home. That's it. Well, you gave the perfect word for it, you know, programming. We've, we've been programmed. And you think about in terms of, even in terms of television, you know, what is it called? When you turn on a show, it's a program. It, it's deliberate programming. And it's, it sounds, it, people get kind of like a little bit nervous when you talk about this stuff because it really goes against like things that were just considered to be normal. When you start opening it up, you start realizing maybe this isn't as good as we thought it would be in terms of the way society has, has groomed us. And when you can do that, you can keep people in line. You can keep people in jobs longer. They might want it than they might want to do it because they don't want to challenge and they don't want to be challenged. When, when you go outside of the norm, you will get a lot of criticism. 
You will get criticism from your family. You will get criticism from your friends. And a lot of people can't handle that. So they just wind up doing what is expected. And I think we need more people to challenge and to say, no, this is the life that I want. And even though my mom might not agree with it, I am going to do this anyway because this is what's going to make me fulfilled. And I think there's so many people that have buried that. I heard an interesting perspective too the other day where if we really, if we're, if I think first it's awareness, we have to become aware of the people in our lives, the circle in our lives, because obviously it's very important. You have to have good people around you. Yep. But if you have, if you at least step one, you have that awareness. I thought this was very interesting, this perspective that you have to challenge those people too in your life, just like they're challenging you. And if you're challenging them, the ones that you want to keep around, they're going to, they're say, Oh yeah. Like they're going to want to be challenged just like they're challenging you. And the ones that you challenge them and they're like, it's, it's like, okay, they're probably going to go away because yep. it's not in a negative way. Like you don't want to ever, ever speak to that person again. It's just there. You want to be on that, the, the core people you're around. You want to be in that same wavelength, right? We, we've all heard that, that phrase a million times about the people we, we keep around. Five, right? Yeah. Five closest. Yeah. yeah. The average of the five closest. Exactly. So take us circa, circa, I don't know what year we're thinking, but circa Long Island, let's say, um, yeah. you know, you shared a very interesting story about just growing up and how you, you came from a good, a good background, but there was this very, very trying time that, that happened to your parents. What, what happened? How did it shape you? You know, kind of like maybe give us a little more perspective than what the book yeah. dove, dove into. I was your typical, you know, suburban kid, right? Rebellious at times, but just kind of the average student, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, didn't, nothing, nothing exemplary, nothing to make you stand out. There was nothing about me that stood out. Right. And you kind of, I just, I just was there. And so you're going through it and you're struggling through your own life and your own, who am I? You know, as I look back, I don't, I don't think I ever said that to myself as a teenager, but I look back, obviously I was lost, not sure. You know, am I, am I cool? Am I fun? Am I, do people like me? Do people not like me? Just anything that kids deal with. Um, and not, but really living in within myself, my own selfishness or whatever. But my parents, you know, my dad ran his own business. My mom was a government employee. So I got to see both sides. I got to see the entrepreneurship and I got to see the, the employee. Right. And I remember even thinking, I like what my dad does more, even though he had a lot more struggles. My mom just believed in security and health benefits. And you go to job and you complain about your coworkers when you come home and, and you do that day in and day out. And, and I remember, you know, hearing my dad say at the dinner table, they had to have been hundreds of times, quit the damn job. Because she would just complain about the job. But she would never quit the job. until she Because those people that think like that stay in line until retirement. It's, it's, it's comfort. It's security. It, exactly. And, and, but there, nothing would make her quit. My dad, you know, I saw him have different businesses. I saw him struggle, have success. But then when I was 16, little, quite literally went from this life that was just normal to having his business partner empty out all the bank accounts overnight, leave town, and my business, my dad's business that was involved in construction had hazmat, you know, assignments going, like jobs going out there with hazardous materials, like gone. Literally woke up, money's all gone. These jobs are sitting here unfinished. They can't pay people to work on them. He's getting, you know, calls from authorities in terms of you've got hazardous material that needs to be taken out of here, blah, 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 the whole lawsuits, I mean, at 16 years old, I'm sitting here watching my family just crumble, fall. I mean, from nowhere. It wasn't It wasn't like it was this downward trend or there was drugs involved or illegal activities. It was just 
Boom. Did you Overnight. have that perspective at the time where you're like, or it was more like, oh, you know, dad's going through something hard right now, but I, you know, I got to go to school today. Like, was it, did you have this like out of body, like experience of, oh my gosh, family? No, I was incredibly selfish. I didn't get along with my dad. Right. Cause being, you know, we're troublemakers or whatever we were doing. And I'm watching our, I'm watching my dad and my mom fight day in and day out. I'm, thinking they're going to get divorced. I'm arguing with my parents nonstop. I'm seeing them stress about money. I'm hearing them talking about losing the house. Like there was, there was just turmoil. Um, and, and to the point, so literally we're a month away from losing the house. And then you got to think about it too. It's like people lose houses all the time. It was just crazy. Cause it, it wasn't anything that we, anybody saw coming. And now all of a sudden your family might be, we don't know what was going to happen. And my dad came to me and I was working because they taught me well to work and save my own money. And my dad had to ask me to borrow $700, his 16-year-old son. Like, I, re- I was at that point, I get emotional thinking about it, because it was at that point that I'm like, how difficult was that for my dad to ask me to, to ask a 16-year-old son for money? And it was at that point that I started really paying attention to life more. And how were, my, my brother was gone already. He was 18 years old. He had moved out because it was too much. And he still, even our lives now, he has much more of a freewheeling lifestyle in terms of money. Like I, I became very aware of money at that age. I became very aware of saving. I became very aware of, you know, I want to take control of my own financial future. Not that my dad did anything wrong, but I learned a lot from it. So it really, even the lessons that I'm teaching today to others and the way we've lived our life came around that whole idea of like, I need to really pay attention to these things. And I don't think enough people have had that pain and they've used credit to where money's always there to use in any way that to ha- go through that experience really shaped me financially to be able to start creating the life that I wanted way down the road. Do you feel, you know, like, because obviously that before the, you know, before the book came out, um, that there was moments, there was times in your life when you were married, uh, you're married still, right? Obviously happily married, yep. but early on in your marriage, um, that some debts had start to started to accrue, but not many people have this mindset of, of – you, know, you built this mindset of saving very early. So what for you, what started to kind of change again where maybe maybe you you went astray from maybe what, what that core belief was and what allowed you to kind of pull the rein that back in? Yeah, I started becoming normal. <laughs> I was never normal, right? And even that, I was – you know, I, I was odd because I didn't have a car payment. I had money and I would save it and – so when it went, when it came around to, you know, I went to school and I saved up, you know, my money for college. So when I went back to college, I paid for it myself and my parents, just, they taught me well. I remember when I was 10 years old, they said, we're not buying you a car. So if you want a car, you're going to save up and you're going to buy it yourself. So we do the same thing with our kids. We don't give our kids any money. If you want money, you're going to earn it from six years old. I don't care if you're doing work around the house, you're going to earn it. You know, we'll pay for food in the house. We pay for the house and all that stuff. But if you want something for yourself, you're going to earn it. Cause I love that lesson, but I was your wife, uh, was your wife in the same mindset when you first met her? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think we were, we always kind of connected around that. It's, it's, we talked, we were talking about relationships last week on the podcast, like how difficult it is right now to find love. We said like finding love during COVID, like that was the title. And, yeah. um, I had a uh, Carlene actually, you know, you just saw her, she, she, yeah. she jumped on. So we have, we had like a few different, uh, generations. Uh, it was me, my, my partner, he's, he's in his forties, uh, uh, Mike and and then we have um you know we have Carlene so we we're talking about like the social media and the dating apps and texting etiquette and 
you know, it's it's crazy. It's crazy today. Like, you know, so shout out if you're single right now. I, it's I know it's it's tough, but maybe it's not. Maybe you find it really easy to find love on, on on the internet. But I think right, that's such a key thing. Is something like this, like you really have to. That's a big thing to align on is finances, and oh, a lot of people don't realize that when they jump into a relationship. It's huge, and then not just you together, but your in laws, right? The the influence that people that they have on you. And fortunately, you know, we're both, you know, I'm more the strong willed one of us. Right. But she's strong willed to where it's like her family's influence over that did not have an effect on in our household. And I think that's really key that you've got to love and respect your immediate family, but your house has to be united and it can't be, well, my mom said this, so we're going to go against each other. Like that really is dangerous for relationships. And we see it a lot. That is, I've heard that is very, I've, thank God I'm knocking, you know, like my wife and I have built this, that relationship, you know, we're married almost five years soon and, um, both parents are good on both sides, but I, like sometimes, you know, there's certain perspectives and I think we've always been like, all right, wait, this is what they're saying. Like, but yeah. how do we feel? How do we want to approach this? Like, this is our home. This is our yeah. house. And I, th- I think if you're out there, you're listening, you know, that, that could be a, you got to really discuss that with your spouse. That could be a difficult um, thing that you, you can allow into your life without realizing it. And if you let these little, little things, you know, plant these little seeds where now your, your in-laws, your parents are making decisions for your family and you don't realize it, you might f- find yourself in a place where they're making big decisions for you. And there can be this resentment that can build up. And, and having control because these, these things that we're talking about, we don't talk about in school and it should be because you know, money, when you talk about money, it has a way people can use it to control you. They can, you know, they can use it to, Hey, we give you these gifts. We give you these things, but in return, we expect this and they might do it very subtly, but it might just be the way that you think. Right. Think about how many people they give a gift. And it's like, if you don't say something, it's like, there's like a tension, like, well, how come it's like, well, when you give a gift, you should never expect anything in return. It's it, the act of giving itself was supposed to be the healing act for yeah. you. <laughs> You're supposed to feel but good it, about giving, right? But even deeper to expect you to behave a certain way or live a certain place because we do certain things for you, right? It's like, well, you're never going to move out of here, are you? Right? Because we don't want our kids moving away. So they will. there's a lot of emotional blackmail that goes on a lot of times based around money in relationships and it's not discussed and when you get into it maybe you didn't deal with it but when you get married you're bringing an entire different family into your life when you get married people that were not raised the way you were raised and and it's, it, it can it can be a lot it can be very tense what is your uh, home's perspective on on gift giving with ki- with your kids? Like when they if they if it's like they have to be rewarded for doing something great. Is there do you do like physical gifts? Do you do some more like experiences? How do you guys approach that? In terms of like what, what do you mean? Let's say you know maybe they're they're struggling in school and they maybe they haven't been studying enough. Do you, is is it like hey you know work work at this and maybe we'll take you out to dinner this you know like. Do you have, do you go to a gift giving system to try to get no, them to do no, certain behaviors? No, they got to do their work. <laughs> they don't get gifts for doing their work. Um, no, but but you know, of course, there's times where it's like, okay, well, we we like to reward unexpectedly because I think that's a better way to teach. Because if if they know, well, if I do this, I get this. They're really doing it only to get to that point or where they're going to get from it. I like but, that. 
Sorry. Yeah, I was saying I like so it's like you want them to recognize that the work, albeit hard and may not be uh, happy and make make them happy or make them feel good, they you want them to knock lock onto that feeling of what happens when they do the work and just yeah. like like us, yeah. like like an like an adult when you're let's say for an entrepreneur and you let's say a book, right? Right writing a book, it's it's hard. It's 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 tiresome work. You you may not be uh may start and, and, and stop and start and stop and feel like you never get anywhere. But then when you finally get to the point where you're in flow and you're writing and your chapters are flying, flying by and you write the book, you have this amazing rewarding feeling. So it sounds totally. like, and I think, you know, as, I remember as a kid, like my parents would do some of that, but I do remember as a kid also someone like, Hey, you know, Tommy do this. We're going to get, you're going to get a little, you know, matchbox car. I'm not saying we never do it. I'm not saying it's, I'm not all, all like altruistic, but there's, we have standards. There's yes, standards yes. in the house. There's standards in life. It's not expectations. It's standards. So we have standards to these things. But when you bring in the unexpected surprise, not even unexpected, but when you think about, I'm going to reward you for your effort. And this is something that I, I wish was taught to me a little bit more. And it's not like my parents didn't do this, but even in school, like, it's not the, it's not the result, but it's the effort. So today, like our, our middle son went and on his own with the money he bought, he got our youngest son, a Hess truck that he really wanted because my parents get Hess, New Yorkers probably know about this, but the, the Hess trucks is every Christmas. Mm-hmm. They have a So my parents bring them from New York to Pittsburgh every year. And so he went and he knew Dylan wanted one and he surprised him. He spent like 30 bucks of his own money, but he was really excited to be generous with it. Like those type of things that are unexpected that they do that are just good things that like we love, we want to reward at that point because you went out of way, you went out of your way, you did it on your own. And I, you want, they need to get the acknowledgement when they go and do something that's wonderful on their own. You want to find them doing good things. So it's, but if they do it because I told them to do it, it's a whole different relationship. So that must be one important. of like the most rewarding things as a parent when you see them go off and do something on their own volition. Oh, yeah. Something good like that where they, where they you know, it's hard. You know, you have three boys and we're, we're home together. And it's like, you're going to have some battles and stuff like that. But generosity is a huge part of, what we want to teach, what we want to be, and it makes us better people, you know, because I never got generosity. Growing up the way I was, you know, it it was very much what what can I get for myself? And I'm not ashamed to admit that because it's just who I was at that point and I've grown. But even in my career, I worked for Newsday, right? And Long Island's like, I didn't care about who I stepped in front of to get that picture. I needed to make that picture when I'm shooting for the, like, but it was not about, how can I be as, how can I be helpful? How can I bring people together? Like it was very much me against the world. It was transactional. It wasn't relational. Like you said, like for photography, like just got to get that photo of that, 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 that person, because that's going to go in an article. It wasn't like, what's, who is this person? What's the story behind this person? And, you know, and let me, let me, let me, let me meet them and learn, you know, there were, there was, I don't want to black and white it, but there was some of it, but it was, I needed to get what I needed to get. And right. what I learned was when you do that, even if it's not outwardly, people know what your motives are. People know, even if you don't say it, if you are very self-involved or if you are just looking to help for no reason. And I think like the movie Groundhog's Day, right? If you've ever watched that movie, he lives the same day over and over again, over and over. And he's a Shout jerk. Out to Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he's a jerk. But he starts realizing being when you live the same day over and over again, how you get responded to by being a jerk. 
Now, most people, I wish they could live a Groundhog's Day and see it because when you live it in different days, you, a lot of times you don't even see it. I relate to that movie because I was that person, maybe not as grumpy as him, but it was me, 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 me. And then you start doing things and you realize, oh, that kind of felt good to do that. And then eventually by the end of the movie, he's like the best person and he's helping everybody. He's learned all this stuff. It's like, man, I wish we can kind of take a lesson from that a little bit more because that's, you know, there's a saying, I don't know if it was James Hetfield from Metallica that said, he goes, you spend your first half of your life breaking things and you spend the second half trying to fix all the things you broke. And, (laughs) and I relate to it. I feel like this is the part of my life where I'm like, I'm called to do good things for people, help them out, connect them, let them learn the hard knocks that I learned the hard way, but it's not about me anymore. It's I've had stuff. I've had what I wanted. It's emptier than people realize when you get it. And you, I, I remember we interviewed John Mellencamp when he came through in Evansville, we lived there and, he wasn't doing as well as he used to do back in the eighties, a big eighties rock star. And they said, my reporter said, you know, do you miss that? Do you miss being on the top? And he's smoking a cigarette. He goes, he goes, dude, I've been to the top. Ain't nothing up there. I'm good. And it was like, what a great lesson to learn. What a, so, at, at so young to learn that and realize it's not about being as successful as possible. It wasn't about that at all. But I think sometimes you need to get there. Like I never made that type of status, but to see that, from so many successful people to realize it's not what you think it is made it to where that wasn't the journey for me. Yeah. Well, I, you start to fall in love with the journey. As long as you, you first find that, that path in life that will make you happy on an everyday basis. I think for so many of us, we, we believe that there is this precipice that we have to reach one day. We're, we're going to, we're, we're going up this mountain and yep. if, you know, the, yeah, there are certain goals that when you get to it, you're like, all right. And there's a huge celebration and we all, we all experience that. Yeah. And there's big, big momentous things in our life. There's, you know, there's getting married, a child being born, a big career advancement. But when, when, for me, I, I, when I, when I, the biggest change in me personally, in terms of like inside of me and, and how I feel on a daily basis was locking into that feeling of how am I going to be the best person every single day? How am I going to make an, make an experience for the people that interact with me every single day? Mm-hmm. Albeit, right, like as, as uh, being self-employed, uh, helping people in my business. And I think, you know, that's probably the secret sauce for you is that, you know, you, you start to whatever you're, you're in, you're, you're now it's, it's all about people. And it's all about that, that little a bit little bit that you can adjust yourself every single day to be better than than you were yesterday and you're chasing yeah. that and you start to recognize that it's always moving it's a moving target it's never, it never it, it's if you, anybody plays music it's it's very much like tuning a guitar it's you tune that guitar it sounds awesome but it goes out of tune and you have to keep tuning it and it never you never have to stop tuning a guitar if you're going to play it and i don't think people approach life that way oh they feel like once i got here that's like playing the greatest song on your guitar and thinking i can keep playing it on this guitar forever without tuning it what we do for ourselves is tune the guitar right you're constantly getting better t- tweaking it a little bit my success now is not me my success are the people that are involved in my life and my community making them successful seeing them do the things that they're doing, seeing the people in our group that are writing books and getting them out there to the world. They're, they're going from nothing to six figures or whatever it is. You know, they're building their, like watching them, connecting them to other people, supporting them from 
that gives me, I don't even like promoting myself. That's part of my own problem. I, I wish I did. Some people do it. I don't do it at all. If you go to social media, you listen to my podcast, you, most people don't even know what I do because I don't like promoting myself. I would rather build a business to where it, it is so built. What's that? I was, I'm like, like thinking out loud as you're talking, right? Like you, you want it, it. It just brings the people in. It, it attracts the people that, that need that message. If, if, and, and they're going to talk about you. Yeah. If you do it well and you do it authentically and you do it with the right approach, the right heart, it's not about what, especially if you don't have needs in the same way that like, I don't have big financial needs. I don't really care what people think. I want to live my life. We want up doing better because of that, because I don't focus on the money. But what I focus on is the sanctity of the group. I focus on the people. When you do that for people and you don't do it for a ridiculous amount of people because you don't have the bandwidth for it, those people appreciate it. And what do they wind up doing is they wind up telling their friends without me even asking them to do it. Then all of a sudden I get a couple times a week, hey, this person, you should look into them. Boom. So now I sit here, I just get to do what I do and live in a very, like live in that life. And then people eventually come to you. The hard part for people is when they start out because they go, no, I need it now. And when you need it now and you're desperate is when you make the biggest mistakes. Yeah. You're not, you're not looking like, let's say for example, if you're selling like a widget to somebody, you're, you're a salesman. Like if you're just looking to make that sale with the person, number one, all right, you might make that sale with that person with said widget, but you may never see them again, ever again. You want to be able to sell widgets two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, make, make a build a, a wonderful you know, blooming relationship with that person where they're not only just buying widgets from you. They're all like you're describing. They're now going out and they're, they're sitting at dinner. This guy, Vincent, man, there's something about him. Like this energy that he puts out, the, the, the way that he coaches me, I, I, my life has grown it, that that's, that's when, you know, like, you, you know, you can wake up every day and just feel, feel that power of contribution to, to other human beings, to yourself. But I think you got to fix Solo self first. <laughs> well, it, it is. It, it's very simple when you think of it that way, right? Once you boil that down, but it really does come down to that because for long periods of time, it was not only my goals, but also my ego. Like there's like now I don't need the credit, right? I feel like I've gotten enough. I feel like for a long period, most people, they crave um, affirmation. Everybody thinks you crave money, but most people crave affirmation. They want somebody to put their arm around you and say, I appreciate what you did. Or I love that you do. I love what you did. People do not get enough of that. They think they want money, but it's really affirmation. And when you can do that. And when, so I was the same way. I was empty in that bucket in my life. I never felt like I mattered. And and, and I, I feel like I'm bashing my parents. I'm not I have a great, but I just never felt like I mattered. I never felt like I was important. I never felt like what I did was important. And when I started doing things, photography was first like, oh, you're really good at this, right? So I got affirmation that way. And then it was the people I got to hang around with. You know, you get to hang around with rock stars and, and big time athletes and politicians or whatever. Then people kind of glom onto that, right? Oh, you get to do this. Then that became, I succeeded there, but it became very empty. It became about the career I was in, but not about me. So I was still empty. When I got into this world, it was better because because I felt like people appreciated me. But at the same time, it was still an ego boost. And I still wanted credit. I still wanted people to say, oh, he's the one that did this for me. And I would get upset when they didn't, just being totally honest. And then you evolve and you tune that guitar and it gets to the point where I don't care. I, I don't want 
infidels in my life, people that will treat me or people around us badly, but I don't care about the credit any longer. I don't, it, it doesn't matter to me if people say that. I, I, what matters to me is that the stuff that I'm doing does well for them, but I could never have understood that when I was 22. I needed to go through all that pain to get to this point. Well, let, yeah, let's like re- rewind a little bit in your story again. So, you know, you're going through this, you had this, you had, like I said, good childhood, but you know, like all of us, many of us are rebellious and we were very egocentric when we're growing up. And, and then there was this, this big event that, that happened that really changed your perspective towards finances. And you started saving a lot of money and, and were, were much more, you had a lens on that. You were focused on it. Um, then you, you met your wife and you guys have very good. I, mean, I don't want to make it seem like I had a lot of money. <laughs> I knew how to save. Right. And so I didn't get into debt, but no, I was broke for a long, long period of time. Right. No, you're telling like, like, right. We said when you guys were planning for, for saving for the, for the wedding, you were making something, you said like $15 an hour at the time. Yeah. 32 grand a year. But we, you know, saving $400 a check and we paid for the wedding ourselves. That, that whole thing comes back to that lesson with my dad. So was it, yeah, was it over, um, did you, was there like a, a, a breaking point where the two of you got, you, you and your wife realized, all right, we have to now, we got to move this way or we're going to, yeah. it's going to go like, or was it just over time it was building and building and building? No, I think there's usually a breaking point because otherwise people just kind of go through life and there's nothing that jolts them. I really think life changes when the jolt happens. And what happened for me was I elevated, we both elevated, we got these jobs in Indiana, these newspaper jobs that were great jobs, but they didn't pay much. That was that $15 an hour, 32 grand a year. And I had one international sports photographer of the year. I was like, like the biggest award I could possibly win, get flown to national geographic in DC for the award ceremony, everything still making 15 bucks an hour. Right. You're getting all well, this, the accolades, you're, you know, this, this, like you said, like the, the stuff that it. is like empty, but still, still making that That's extra great, great award. But is there any money in the frame? Cause I'm broke. Right. And so what happened was do that, you know, and then we, we're gonna have a family, you know, Elizabeth gets pregnant and wow, she wants to stay home with our son and I'm making $15 an hour. And it was the big boy moment of like, yeah, we could both be doing it together and living in an apartment and life doesn't, it's fine. Buy whatever, you know, buy our beer or whatever it is. When you realize that your wife wants to stay home and you're making $15 an hour and you go, am I really an adult here? You know, this is not feeling good. So I called my dad and, oh no, actually. So I I went in for my, for my job review. I went into, you know, here's where I'm going to get my big raise. I won the awards and we have a baby and sat down and, you know, times are tough. You know, you got, you killed it this year, won everything, you know, but you know, we can only give you a 3% raise. And I'm like, I remember sitting there being so angry and I remember saying to him, I said, well, 3% of your salary might be great, but 3% of nothing is nothing. Like, I, it doesn't matter. Now I'm going to go to 33 and a half, you know, you know, this is not going to change anything. So I went home and I called my dad and I was like, he had his own business and I, I worked for him when I was a kid. So I was like, can I work for you again? And he said, no. So now my dad's rejecting me. Oh man. You know, it's a moment. Yeah. I'll never sit on the bed and the sun's coming. It's June. It's hot. And I bet you that was one of the best things that he ever did for you. It was, well, what he did next was even better because he termed, He basically said, he goes, you haven't worked for me in 15 years. You don't know any of the equipment. You don't know any of the, you don't know any of the stuff. I can't, can't train you 15 hours away. Can't do it. And he could have probably thrown me a line. He probably could have done something right. As a lot of parents, like, let me get this for you. And he didn't. And I so appreciate it. But he said something to me that changed my life. He said, yeah, I've been trying to tell you this 
you haven't listened. <laughs> he goes, maybe you'll listen now. And when I'm desperate enough, I guess I listen. And he said, you have a skill, but you're not using it correctly. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you've become a really good photographer. I even say a great photographer, um, but you're settling. And to have your dad tell you you're settling is really hard. And he said, you're settling for $32,000 a year in benefits. He goes, you could go shoot weddings. You could go shoot corporate, commercial, pro sports for magazines, anything. And you are and you can have unlimited income with that. And you're settling for that salary and those benefits. And then like, like, a, like a punch in the gut, I yeah. held the phone. I'm sorry, go ahead. That's, that's yeah, like. Shout out to your dad though, because not not many parents would maybe even you know it's, that's a tough way to, you know to to let your let your child know that because you obviously a lot of kids you know when you when you're a parent I'm you know this best um, because you are a parent I'm not yet but for from parents that I've talk, spoken to it's you also like you never want to like say something that you feel would like send your kids away and then like they especially after they're now they're older and they're living on their own it's like if I say this they're never going to talk to me again and that's you not an easy I, that's not an I, easy I, thing you know. I'm so grateful for it because it's, but he, we, you know, we knew our relationship. He wasn't, it was not something that I was going to go run away and cry by him saying it hurt. And it was, it was hurt because cause he was true because it was right. It was true. And okay. So I sat down, I picked up the phone book. I said, okay, I'm going to I'm going to start a business. I'm going to, so I called up like, okay, we could do weddings. I know it's the low hanging fruit. Never wanted to do weddings. I'm too good for weddings. I'm a journalist. That's what we thought, but I don't want to do weddings. Um, so I called a bunch of wedding photographers to see if I could second shoot with them. And every one of them told me no. So now I'm getting more, re- I mean, worst day up until that moment, getting rejected by everybody. But enough pain comes and I took the phone book, and I'll never forget it, by the bathroom and I threw it against the wall. And I said, you know, if you, there's the old saying, like, if you can't beat them, join them. And I said to myself, I just flipped it. And I said, well, if you can't join them, you're going to beat them. And I called Elizabeth and I said, we're starting a business. And she's like, what? I'm like, we're, we're starting a business. We're going to shoot weddings. We're going to start a business. It's like, aren't we, aren't we having a baby soon? Or did you already, did she already have the baby? No, no. We're a month away. She's eight months oh pregnant. Oh my I gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that and was but, a fun conversation. <laughs> no, she was, but she, she knew. I mean, cause That's for awesome. us, like, well, okay. Well, that means that we're going to be able to get closer to living life that we want. She knew there was no money coming in another way. Or we could live like this. So we just went after it. knew nothing about business. Everybody's like, oh, you're lucky. You're like, no, no. I just lived in the library and, and Barnes and Noble reading like crazy. There wasn't podcast then, 2005, reading and reading. And we took so many lumps those first two years. The first year always sucks, always when you start a business and you don't know, even the next one. Two, but every single time after three years, it's rolling. It's been every business we've ever done. And it's like knowing that, even making the shift from photography to running masterminds and communities now, when we started it and you deal with all the lumps, all the things you don't know about, all the things you're learning, Elizabeth says to me, she goes, three years, you know what it's going to be like. In three years, it's going to be easy. And we've just hit that with this and it is smooth and growing and building out. And I'm so glad she said that. And I'm so glad we had those lessons because a lot of people quit from one year, from zero to two and a half years, because it's tough. But when it's the compound interest of it, you can make it that far. So that's what happened there. We turned that into a six-figure business in two years, and um, we paid off our house, and we quit our job. And all of a sudden, two and a half years later, I have almost total time freedom. Every day I can do what I want, except for 
two or three Saturdays a month and then we build it out. So that's where it came from. So when, so the book, you know, was that always something that was on, you know, in the oven or it was like one day you're like, okay, I need to tell this story now. No, it was from that point on, we paid off the house at like 36 years old. I was 36. I awesome. was 32. That's awesome. We walk in to pay it off. And the, the guy says to me, he goes, did you guys win the lottery? And we're like, no. And he goes, I've never seen anybody this young coming to pay off their house. And we're like, here we go. You know? That's and, awesome. and so that's, and, but it didn't feel that much different. I, we thought there'd be like fireworks and nobody cared. You know, it's like, it was, okay, cool. We, we've got our own. That's another thing to learn. Like we thought it was a big deal. It was for us, but everybody else is doing their own life. They're struggling. They're, they're, they're too busy trying to figure out their own thing to even really think that much about that. That was our life. It was great right. for us. So no, what happened about 2011, once we, we moved to Pittsburgh, 2010, 2011, we started getting a lot of questions. Like, how'd you guys do this? You know, it's really tough out there. And so many photographers are struggling. Like, how are you guys living like this? And I, so I started writing down stuff, started writing stories, started writing notes. And I, so I piled up notes for three years, probably three, three and a half years for some book that was going to come out at some point. And then finally, my friend David Burke said to me, he goes, you know what? He was mad at me. He goes, I keep hearing these stories. We talk this and that. He goes, you keep talking about this book. He's like, it is not a goal for you to write this book. It is an obligation for you to write this book. Ooh, you have man. It. I'm telling you, you want to make something like me do something? Say that. Because I was like, it's on. All right. I got it. So that's where it came from. But it was a, it was a buildup. It was a buildup of all these years, writing the stories, connecting the dots in my head and then saying, let's go. That's awesome. Well, guys, uh, we're going to have Vincent back on. Uh, this was, you know, I wanted to share your story, Vincent. And I, you know, like kind of just basically gave you, we gave them your roadmap in a way, you know, basically it's your life, your roadmap, but that's what the book is. I love the title, right? The roadmap for creating a side business to achieving financial time and life freedom, freelancing to freedom. Um, so what I want to do is we're going to have you back on at another date and mm -hmm. we'll kind of dive into some of the nuts and bolts, especially if some of the listeners, if they get an opportunity, which you should, to pick up a copy of the book, listen to it, absorb some of it, and then we can kind of take some of those topics, uh, some of the real nuts and bolts and, and actionable items. And um, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to it, you know, and, and that's in the book. Is, it's amazing because like you said, we were talking about like the, the, the photography has, has morphed where now it's, it's, you're serving people in such a different way. Um, where it, the book has, has built into a business where it's a full mastermind business and people are coming to you and, and you're giving regular coaching on a regular basis. It's, it's a lot. And, and, and what I try to tell people is success brings success. And when you do something and it goes well, people want to know about it. So literally what we're doing now is built off of other photographers saying, can I hire you to coach me on photography that built out to all this other stuff to now we have real estate groups in our mastermind. We have just niche things, podcasting, uh, coaching, writing, all these different things. We have niche groups within it because we have, you, I'm not even in real estate, but we attract people that do this really well. So something that two years ago, I said, there's no way we were, we're going to have a, a real estate mini mastermind here. Success brings more success. So it is something where it's like, you just got to keep going and do it. And you don't even know what the map is going to be or the roadmap is going to be later on. You just need to get to the next checkpoint and then pivot and look around and so many opportunities open up. But I was going to tell you, if anybody wants it, um, we give the audio book away for free. So if anybody, anyone of your listeners wants to go to totallifefreedom.com 
slash F2F book. I guess I'll send you the link if you want. Beautiful. Excellent. If anybody sends you any questions, be happy to, if you want to do it even during the next call, the next interview, we can answer any questions anybody have. I don't know if you'd want to do it that way. Excellent. Yeah. If we get some in, that would be awesome. And, um, I'm looking forward to it, man. So guys, definitely, definitely check out Vincent Puglisi, totallifefreedom.com slash for the book. It's slash F2F book. F2F book. You're going to get a free copy of the audio book. Vincent, it's, it's crazy how, you know, we've kind of like messaged and texted, you know, back and forth, you know, over the last three years since we were seeing each other regularly on, in, in the other group that we belong to. And it's just so cool. Like when, when you're, when you find people in life that, that are like-minded, you know, right. It's like, it's like we're picking up like, yes, it was yesterday. And I, I just so appreciate that and appreciate you for that. You know, when, when you find people in life, guys, that, that will basically just want you to win, right? Like, I want you to win, Vincent. You want me to win in life. The people that are in your life, you want to win. Like, that's the kind of people, guys, that you, you always want to find people that are going to help lift you up and want you to win in life. And um, if anything, if there's any, one thing you get out of this podcast is is just taking that inventory of, um, you know, the people that are around you. And Vincent's definitely somebody that you want to have in your circle. You know, whether you're physically actually, you know, following through, checking out his, his mastermind and joining it, or if you're reading his book and he's, he's that virtual mentor, you know, in a way, Dr. Tom, you know, you listen to the positivity effect and it's a virtual mentor. Um, these are the things, you know, these are the skills that help bring your life forward. And, um, you know, sometimes Vince, it's like people can feel like they, they don't have anything that they want to, you know, move forward in, you know, they, it's like, they feel mm-hmm. like there's no purpose. And I think if you feel like you have no purpose in life right now, like for, you're really struggling, get around other people, like get different perspective. Cause sometimes it all it is, is another perspective. Maybe you're in this circle that you grew up in that just, you can't, you can't get out of it and you feel like you're stuck. And sometimes just talking to a person and hearing a little differently about life that all of a sudden you're on a new path and you're, you're, you're now uh, leading yourself towards freedom. Totally. And the, the one thing I could say from experience in terms of that, if you feel that way, the best thing I've ever done was when I am feeling down about myself and I'm the best thing, and it sounds so cliche is help somebody else out. Even when you're feeling that, cause it will change the way that you think you're not so focused on yourself when you're thinking, what can I do? Even if it is, you know, Hey, I want, I want to leave a review for Dr. Tom's podcast. Seriously. Like, and he didn't ask me to say this, but it's something where, when you can do something for other people that help other people, it makes you feel good inside. And that's what's going to get other people to even notice anything. Like they're going to know that you help them out. You're not doing it with any expectation. I can tell you that's how I get out of it. It used to be, I just wallow in myself. It's like, I got to go do something for somebody else. And it, it really helps out. I love it. Love it. Vincent, Vincent Puglisi guys, brother, thank you so much for jumping on. 